This morning we're looking at chapter 8 of Hebrews and verse 4 is where we'll be concentrating. Um, I want to begin by reading those first six verses of chapter 8. It says, Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Let's pray. Most gracious and high heavenly father, we present ourselves to you this morning as an assembly Lord, that you have so named the church that you have so called Lord and so saved by the blood of your son. And Lord, we come before you. Oh, God, as uh, humble servants, Lord, as uh, those who were once dead in sins and trespasses, Lord, who are now alive in Christ. And for that, Lord, we, we must offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Lord, we must offer uh, every breath and every thought and every action captive to Christ, Lord. And we ask that this morning by the reading of your word and by uh, the administration of it, by the Holy Spirit to each individual, God, we pray that you would cause us to do that which we have been called to do. Lord, we ask for your grace and your mercy as we read the text that we may see not as natural man, but that we may see as those who have been made spiritually awakened, Lord. Those who could not see once blind, those who could not hear once deaf, Lord, now that we may see as Christ has illuminated all of these words, Lord, all of this revelation, every prophecy, Lord, that we see the fulfillment in Him and that we look to Him and no one else, Lord. And that is indeed the point as we read this text and every text, that Christians may see Christ and that we may be assured in faith, that we may be increasing in knowledge and love, that we may be conformed to His image Lord, we ask that you would ask, uh, allow us uh, to ask for those things that we so desperately need. Lord, not those temporal things, but those spiritual needs. God, you have already answered the greatest uh, with a lamb that was slain. Lord, we now ask that you would continue to attend our spiritual need. Lord, as we battle these spiritual forces, this darkness and wickedness, Lord, that we face not earthly battles, but spiritual battles. We ask that you would remind us at each moment of Christ, Lord, that you would cause us to worship, Lord, in spirit and in truth, and that in doing that, God, you would be exalted and glorified, and that you would receive those things that are due your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I first began preaching. I used to spend 
quite a deal of time coming up with titles for my sermons. And I like the titles, and for a long time I thought it was the catchy title that would uh, cause people to listen online and maybe grab their attention. And of course, I knew that the, the meat of the sermon is always the preaching of Christ, but for a long time I haven't had a title, and this morning I, I felt like it wasn't even necessary, just that the text is enough, but this morning uh, I thought that if some were to like a like to record a title for this sermon that i would call it no ifs ands or buts only becauses and i think it's very important uh, to think about that and the lord reminded me uh, of such a a common saying amongst english-speaking people as i read the text and i think you'll see why Uh, so let's begin again with looking at those first three verses and then the the verse four that we'll have Uh, to feast upon this morning it says now the main point in what has been said is this we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the lord pitched not man for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices so it is necessary that the high priest also have something to offer now if he were on earth He would not be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. I want to begin looking at that as we do most Sunday mornings. uh, Looking at this word for word. Now, speaking presently in the present tense. This is declaring for us multiple things. First and foremost, I believe the reality is that we have a Savior and a High Priest who is now and that is speaking not about his existence simply in the current time but that is speaking of course because our savior has gone to the cross and has died and been buried it also speaks of his eternality because it means that he did not remain there so i believe that if we were to place any importance upon a particular word in this sentence in this verse it must be on the word now it speaks as well to the relevance of the scripture. God knew that when he gave this message to the penman, to the Holy Spirit, uh, through the Holy Spirit, that this was not simply for those who would read it in its original script, not for those who would simply have the actual letter, but he knew that this would be for the church and into eternity until the church, as we sang this morning, uh, sees their Savior Christ, until it takes its rest. And that's what we talked about earlier in uh, going through Hebrews, that the church is called at this present time to work and then the rest is to come in Christ. Now we recognize the Sabbath, but we know that ultimately it is not the fullest fulfillment of the Sabbath, but Christ is that fulfillment. That when the church sees our Savior, that is the reality of true rest and that is the culmination of all of God's works and all of man's work for God. And so we see that as we read just a simple word as now because it's speaking to the church. Not just the Hebrew believers of the time or those who had confessed, but it's speaking now to the church who is to do a duty to Christ, but also it is speaking about a Christ who is risen indeed. And then it tells us uh, a, a little bit something else about it. It's speaking to a Christ who has done a work and, and saying that he now, as it describes, it is telling us that the work that Christ has done 
has been both applicable in the future, in the present, and in the past. And that speaks about what Christ has done for sinners. Anyone who is ever to be saved, it must be by a work that is applicable now. A blood that is sanctified, that is holy in its own right. A blood that is pure, a blood that is invaluable, it's immeasurable. And as far as its value is concerned, there can be no price placed on it because it is working both in the past, in the present, and in the future for those who will believe in Christ. And it is powerful. This is speaking about a Savior and a priest, an apostle and a prophet, a chief cornerstone that knows God because He is God who is familiar with the Father because He is His exact nature. He is the radiance of His glory, as the first chapter declares. And it says, now, if He were on earth, and this is why I say there are no ifs, ands, or buts, but only becauses. If He were on earth, tells us that He is not. He is not buried in a tomb, this Christ. He is not hidden away from the world behind a stone. Neither are his bones dry. But when it says now if, it declares that the situation is not as as it would appear to the unbeliever. The situation is not what the sentence will describe. Verses 4 and 5. It says if he were on earth, He would not be a priest. And what we have for us is not a statement of what actually has happened. It is proof from what has not occurred. The the text this morning is a reference and a testimony to the work of Christ, to the risen Savior that declares from what He is not, what He actually is and what He is doing. Now, if He were on earth, if He were on earth, There would only be two possibilities. One, that he was very old and had not died. Or two, that he had died and was merely man and could not be risen. In fact, even that would declare uh, if he were a man and had risen, it would still declare that God is powerful. Because we know that he has done just that. There are several accounts in the text of Scripture where mere man has been risen. How can that happen? How did Lazarus come forth from the grave if it were not Christ speaking? If it were not the will of God that he spoke? And it tells us that now if is talking about a Christ who is presently. If he were on earth. This is to describe for us here in verse 4, the office and the man holding it who is this high priest, this great high priest. This is a declaration of Christ's contrast in his priesthood, that after the order of Melchizedek, versus that which was established and according to the text as we read it, still present in the time of the original transmission. Now what we have is that there are priests on earth that were still giving sacrifices and gifts and this would come to an end. This is uh, sort of a cessation as what we would declare from tongues and new revelation prophecy. 
these things were coming to an end at this time. And the declaration was to look at Christ and to trust in Christ for His work was the ultimate work. And in saying these things and describing with this great contrast how Christ is not on earth and how Christ is a priest rather than not being a priest at all and how he is offering a one-time sacrifice versus that which is occurring perpetually into the future at the, at the time before Christ's sacrifice, we have for us uh, a distinction that is declaring what his office and what his person is able to do and what it is effectually doing. It also is declaring for us that what we are dealing with is not temporal because it is not on earth. It simply is not there. If we miss the point, as it is describing, now if he were on earth because he is not, this would happen, that which is to follow. But instead we look back, it says the main point, verse 1, is what has been said is this. We have a high priest who has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So what we have is a dual declaration of where our Savior, our great high priest, is seated. Where he reigns and where he resides, what he has rights to and what belongs to him. What is under his control. And we must recognize that by this place, his deity is described. And not only described, but it is finitely pictured as that which is above all else. There is a specific point here that Christ is no longer on earth, that he has done what was necessary to defeat all enemies in that area. What we know is that there is no enemy that is eternal. For the Bible declares that the only enemy was here on earth, death and sin, wickedness, those things that the first chapter and the second chapter of Hebrews did well in detailing for us those that are to end, to be destroyed, to be consumed, to be rolled up. And then we are to receive a new heaven, new earth, all of these promises and they're wrought upon simple few phrases. Now and he when it says, if he were on earth, we're reminded of those first sentences that declare that he is in the heavens. But then we also are now moved to see where the sanctuary is. Where is this place of worship? Where is a true tabernacle? Where is the holy of holies? And we, uh, for the sake of, of understanding, we'll have us a little spoiler. We'll look at chapter 9. It declares for us what we are to intend from verse 4. It says, Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. That tells us that there's something besides the earthly. Then it says, For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which we 
in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies. Having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold. In which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which was budded. And the tables of the covenant and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot speak in detail. Now when these things have been prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle performing the divine worship. But into the second only, the high priest enters once a year. Not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. So we have a picture even here of the priest going in with the blood. That the sacrifice has been made in one place. He is entering with the blood. It's coming from one place to the next. And then it says he's offering this for the sins of himself and the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Not willful sin, but in ignorance. It says the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience since they relate only to food and drink and various washings regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation but when christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands this is to say not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now we're going to go over all that in the weeks to come, Lord willing. But what does that declare for us this morning? It declares that we must not be looking to earthly things, but to a spiritual holy of holies. It tells us a lot about this high priest Christ. It tells us, one, that He is worthy and He is able. We sing those things, many hymns. Worthy of entering and able to enter. And then the declaration is that it is not a place built by hands. It is not an earthly place, but it is a heavenly place. In fact, it is the place of His presence. And if He is not only able, but willing, it is describing a Christ who is divine. None of you and none of us will go to heaven apart from Christ. None of us may leave this world. None of us may travel uh, beyond a few mere miles without Christ being the one to take us there. He is gathering up. He is raising from the dead. He is doing all of these things. In fact, the truth is, we can't make it one step without Christ, even on earth. How much more so can we not enter a holy place? How much more so should we not be denied entrance into heaven lest we be the bride of this bridegroom Christ? Unless this priest has offered for us one eternal, efficient, sufficient, all-covering sacrifice. That is the point. Why is that? It's because we oftentimes forget that which is most important. We forget about the sacrifice of Christ being sufficient. We forget about Christ being ruler over all. 
we not only forget, but we at times deny the lordship of this Christ. All of these things described in this first portion of chapter 8. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. What does this mean? What does it mean that he would not be a priest at all? Well, it's describing for us that the earthly priesthood had some earthly constraints. The earthly priesthood was bound to the tribe of Levi, to the sons, if it were, of Aaron. This is not the lineage of Christ. In fact, if the priesthood of Christ is to be earthly, then it would not be he who is priest. He would have to come from a different mother. He would have to come from a different line. He would be altogether a different Christ and in essence, no savior at all. But the implication is that he has power and he has life and he has the resurrection and he has a sufficient sacrifice that the earthly priest did not have. In fact, when we read the first half of that verse four, if he were on earth, he would be no priest at all. It declares that the priesthood's power lies within its location. You say, what does that mean? Well, let's think about it. The priesthood of Aaron was on earth. Earth is temporal. So were the sacrifices. So were the ability and the acceptance of any sacrifices God would view them. For he commanded that they occur again and again. And so thus they are temporal. But when we look at Christ, the difference in his is that he is holding a priestly office whose holy of holies is not on earth, but is in heaven. And that declares for us that the power is in the resurrection. The ability of Christ to ascend to the heavenly places, not in his temporal physical lineage but it is in his divine nature this priesthood he is appointed as the bible declares think about it the men who were appointed as levitical priests could only give sacrifices uh, and it would be for all of these sins and then you would sin and they would come again but this christ being of divine nature being born of the Virgin Mary, of course, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, containing within himself all the fullness of God. It is not his earthly lineage that makes him a priest, but it is his eternal forever heritage as God Almighty, maker of all things created, the one who is and was and is to come. The priesthood of Christ resides not in the man named Jesus, but it is declared in the man who was Christ, son of God before earth ever existed. This was the only salvation plan of God. It's important that we understand this office and this power. The power over life is what makes this priesthood better than any you shall ever see. Now, when we continue to look, it says if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. And we see what that, the implications being of Christ's nature, but it also declares for us some other things about him not being a priest at all. The problem is, of course, uh, as I mentioned, <coughs> excuse me, would be with his lineage, right? 
Christ was not of Aaron, he was not of Levi, uh, the tribe of Levi. And what we begin to see is that this is not telling the failures of the priesthood. This is actually of Christ's priesthood rather, but it is telling us the limitations of those priesthood according to Aaron. Their limitations. It wasn't talking, it's not telling us this because Christ was not these things. It's telling us these things because Christ was far superior to these. He could fulfill what no other could and uh, by that we may begin to see uh, some of what is being described here. He is a high priest who is not on earth and who is currently a priest, never ceasing. Think about that. that. That's one of the things that is declared because if he was an earthly priest, we know he would cease to exist as priest, right? Because that priesthood is ended. It was temporal. It was replaced by something that was better or rather fulfilled by one who is better. And so he couldn't have been this old type of high priest. He must have been something new, not according to the law, but something according to this new covenant. He must be from above. And that is what we see. He is not on earth. Why? Because this priest died for sins. And now we're beginning to see some of that illustration from the old priesthood where they would sacrifice and bring the blood to the Holy of Holies. And now we see the difference in Christ's priesthood being that the Holy of Holies is in heaven. His earthly body is given this earthly sacrifice and he himself raised it from the dead and has carried that blood to the Holy of Holies. He has presented it himself before God. Why? Because you couldn't do it. Aaron couldn't do it. Nor his kin. Christ has done what no man can. This is not a Levitical priesthood because it would have remained on earth where our priest is described as being seated on high. Therefore, there is a second reasoning why this priest must be greater. Levitical priesthood was only to illustrate as far as Christ would come and reconcile. It was a foreshadow. The text is very clear. It was a picture, an illustration. It was something to remind us of what the final priest, excuse me, would do. It was a less than perfect priesthood. We read that in Hebrews 9. For it could not do anything with the conscience. It could not replace guilt with grace. For it was momentarily accepted by God because of His mercy. But it was not forever atoning. These were impartial priests. And they were priests who could not fulfill but simply priests who would work until they died. And what we have now is a priest who does the exact opposite. He dies until the work is done and he is raised. And he says at the moment before he is giving up the ghost, it is finished. He finishes before other men have even started. 
We see other men working, 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 and then they die and it's over. And what we see is Christ dies and sin is over and death is over and He is raised. And now we see the newness of life, the beginning of eternity. We begin to see righteousness. As I thought about this, it really is describing for us the frailty of man as we consider the priesthood of Christ. It says, since there are those who offer gifts according to the law, there were those who were still doing this at the present time when the epistle is presented to the Hebrews. There were still men following this model. They would die out. Purpose was that we would see Christ this morning and that we would look there and never to turn around again. And you know why we must be reminded? Because many times as Christians, professing Christians, we like to gauge our righteousness off of someone else's sin. Do it every day. We say, man, we're, we're saved. We're Christians. You see how that guy sinned, and that's how you know I'm a Christian. I don't do those things. We gauge our righteousness off of someone else's sinfulness. And the model of this great high priest is not to gauge our righteousness off of someone else's sinfulness, but it is instead to gauge our sinfulness as mankind off of Christ's righteousness. That we may see the cross, this great high priest who has gone there, a place that the Lord has pitched and not man, a one who has entered into the holy of holies, a place unaccessible to mere man. And we look at him and say, that is righteousness and what I have must be sinfulness. It's a declaration of the depravity of man, the inability to be saved apart from divine intervention. When we begin to look at this more intently, we see a picture that is painted for us that is altogether beautiful, one that the true believer cannot and must not take his eyes off of. This is a picture of a saving son, a lamb of God, a priest who is worthy of worship. Can we say that about any other? Certainly not. Here is a priest who is worthy of worship himself. He must be God. How can we think any less of this Christ? How can we think any more of ourselves if a man so wonderful exists? Many commentators will breeze past this section of Scripture. Many preachers, unfortunately, will look at it simply as a passing statement rather than a reminder of why we are able to sit here this morning. It is because he is not on earth. Thank goodness that our Savior is not on earth. Why? Because we need a mediator. The tabernacle stands no more here. The Holy of Holies is not here. We need a priest who can go wherever that may be. And he is there, the Bible declares. Man, has he offered the, the best gift, the greatest sacrifice, and he has done it on his own. 
He has the authority. He has the ability. He has the love to do all of that. As I look at the text and read it over and over, it says, since there are those who offer gifts according to the law, it's really telling us that there are those who offer gifts that at the very best will only suffice to the ending of that particular priesthood. They would do you no well into the future. In fact, good luck finding one of these priests. And if you could, he could do nothing for your soul. He could save not even one for he himself is described in the text as sinful, giving sacrifice first for himself. Then we think about all of the things that we do. We are no different than these people. We must be reminded of Christ because we at every hand and every turn think that we are offering gifts and sacrifices to God. We think that coming here may do something for us. And I would submit to you that some may come here every single day if they had a key to the church and they may sit through every sermon ever preached behind this pulpit and they would still go to hell. Does no good for us to offer temporal things. These gifts and sacrifices of appointed men of God did not save. What will it do for a mere man, a Gentile such as you and I? To give anything, money, houses, time, give your neighbors food, it does nothing. What we're called to see here is a priest who didn't give a little, but he gave every single thing. He gave the weight of heaven's treasure through his blood. He gave, if you will, the entire vault of what is important to God. He gave His righteousness. He gave His holiness. Uh, never mentioned that he, he gave His body. He gave His life. He gave Himself. His Son is only begotten. He gave it all. We sing it. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. This morning I said to you that there was some importance behind the title of the sermons. No ifs, ands, or buts. There is no if as it is presented here, if Christ were on earth because he is not. No ifs. No ands. Not Christ and anything else. Not Christ and the sacrifices that you may offer. Not Christ and those sacrifices and those gifts that the priest before him may offer. No ands. He doesn't need it. No buts, but Lord, I did this, but Lord, I did that. No Christ, as long as you do this, but if you do this, then you're not saved. That's what the Mormons believe. No ifs, no ands, no buts this morning. The, the focus is on becauses, because he lives, because he has died, because he has been given, because he has given his life of his own will, because it was pleasing to the Father, because he was God. Because he was the fulfillment of every scripture. I had someone just a few weeks ago want me to give them a list of every prophecy in the Bible and how it had been fulfilled or if it hadn't, let them know. 
talk to John about it. The, the beauty is that the fulfillment of this we will stand in amazement in into eternity. We will see the fulfillments even even as we speak on earth, we will see the fulfillments of the prophecy of Scripture in new light every time that we open the Bible. We'll see ways that Christ fulfilled things that we had never imagined before. Things that we thought we had nailed down and we had moved on. And we'll say, you know what, Christ fulfilled that this way too and we didn't see it before. And what is amazing about that is that the fulfillment that Christ has done, the fulfillment that He has completed, it has already guaranteed salvation. Guaranteed. Paid for. As I said a few weeks ago, no one can take it. Satan can't have it back because he can't pay for what Christ already paid for. He doesn't have the, the, the money. He doesn't have the currency, the value. I was thinking about this this week as I was going through the week and I thought, you know, it's just foolish for man to think that he can decide to be saved. To think that he has will over his own life insofar as that he can profess with his own tongue at any point that he finds uh, it is necessary and somehow find salvation. I thought, how can it be? How can people believe this? Because even, even the staunch Arminian would never say that uh, life, life that is guaranteed in Christ comes without preaching. And then we have to ask ourselves, who sent the preacher? Who made the preacher? Who gave the word? Does it not all fall back into the word that became flesh? And before that, he who existed eternally, does it not ride upon the person of Christ? Does it not reside in his deity? Much less Proverbs chapter 16. Plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Then how even if God sends the preacher and sends the message, sends the sacrifice in Christ, how even can we respond to the gospel if it is not Christ? If it is not this spirit who he has left that uh, chapter 8 is doing a great deal in describing. If he has not ascended into the Holy of Holies, this place of heaven where man cannot go, lest he be God as well. This morning when we look at the text of Scripture and we consider Christ, please do not think of him as a priest like you would ever hear about from any other person on earth. Please don't think of him as a Roman Catholic man with a funny attire. Please don't think of him as a man who is limited. Think of a priest as Christ and then you may see what the priesthood ever has been and what it is now. And what we'll see is that priesthood of Christ is supreme. It was first, it was before. It is after. It is everlasting. It is one that endures forever, as the text said. And then we would be reminded that even if we had been alive in the time in which the Hebrew people had received this epistle, we would be reminded that the priesthood that was prevalent in our day was still not good enough for salvation. That even it must be pointing to Christ. Even it must be illustrating and picturing Christ. And then when we see the actual painting, you know, you can see you can see illustrations all day and you think, man, that looks good. You wouldn't know one Van Gogh from a, a, a one that was printed in a workshop somewhere. 
You wouldn't know it, uh, a real painting if you hadn't seen it for yourself. And the idea is that everything looks good at the time. Every, every illustration, every foreshadow was looking good to these people. The problem was they were trusting in the shadow and in the type rather than in the Messiah. If you have seen Christ through the text, then a copy, a forge of the priesthood will not do. No earthly gift or sacrifice will you place any trust in. No self, no neighbor, no parent, no lineage. John chapter 1 Verses 11 through 13 declare it. None of those things will work once you have seen the masterpiece. I say Christ is the masterpiece. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Creator of all things. Hebrews chapter 1 declares him. He is God in the flesh. And he is mediating now for man. Find that somewhere. Your pastor can't do it for you. No Jewish rabbi, Orthodox Jewish rabbi, no priest that you can find here on earth will ever do you service. You know why? Because you can outsend any priest. <laughs> you can outsend any sacrifice. Boy, we'd all be vegans if we were having to give sacrifices of blood of goats and bulls. There wouldn't be any meat that be had here. What I'm telling you is that the blood of Christ is sufficient. And he is screaming at his people, at his church, and he is declaring boldly and loudly, not through New Revelation prophecy, from what has happened and what is happening now in heaven as to where our salvation lies, where our hope is. Our hope is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It is an anchor that is in heaven. Hebrews declares it all. It is born out, not for just the Hebrew people, but for you and I, Gentiles, sinners. We give Paul a run for his money. Chiefest of sinners. Here is a priest who is able to pay the debt. He says that you can call upon his name and that not that you can be saved, not that you might be saved, but that you most certainly will be saved. To the uttermost. What is to the uttermost? It means from the beginning of your sin, that was when you came out, when you came from your mother's womb, to the end of your life, you shall be saved. And then if that weren't enough, once you die, you don't have to worry about you no more. You will have and you will forever put on his robe of righteousness. There remains only one sacrifice for sin, and it has already been presented to the Father in heaven. That is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at your word, Lord, may we be reminded of Christ. Lord, may we look at him and know that he is... Lord of Lords, King of Kings, may we know that He is greatest High Priest, that He is like man, but He is sinless. God, that He is perfect. That He is a Lamb like we have never seen. Lord, we tend to think of lambs as weak creatures. 
Lord, this was a lamb who when we are weak, he is strong. Lord, he has served as a good shepherd and is serving. And Lord, when we follow, not as goats, but as sheep, when we follow, Lord, we hear his voice. Lord, and because of your great mercy, O God, because of your grace, because you are long-suffering to usward, we shall not perish. What a wonderful thing, this everlasting life. But what is more wonderful than that is the perfect righteousness of this Christ. Lord, I pray that everlasting life never take away in this body of believers, never take away from us seeing the righteousness of Christ. Lord, for everlasting life is but a byproduct of what my Savior has done. Lord, He has conquered sin and death. Lord, who amongst us wouldn't even embrace death simply knowing that you were pleased? But to know that you are not only pleased, but that you will bring us resurrection, glorification. How worthy are you of our praise? Lord, we pray this morning that you will be worshipped, you will be glorified, that we will be sanctified, conformed to the image of your Son, or that we will be thankful uh, in all things and for all things, God, that we may find joy in the deepest depths of this world's sorrow, that we be reminded of Christ at each time. Lord, it shall be done, we know. Lord, we thank you for all of these good and perfect gifts that we recognize are from you, O oh God, the Father who is in heaven. Lord, we thank you for them. We ask that you would give us fellowship, Lord, that we would have all things in common today in Christ, and that you would bless the food that we may receive, Lord, that it would benefit us as far as we may benefit uh, the church and her responsibility to our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.